So hello and welcome to the first edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, a new podcast which aims to get the inside track on life at Watford FC from former players and managers. I'm Bradley Hayden, a freelance sports journalist, but most importantly, a massive Watford fan for over 10 years. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Richard Lee, a former academy graduate and made over 100 appearances during his time at Vicarage Road. Richard, thanks for joining me. How are you? My pleasure. Yeah, very well, thanks. So, um, firstly... How do you reflect on, on your time at Watford? Uh, yeah, hugely positive. Um, you know, the fact that I joined them as a 10-year-old and to go through the academy ranks, met so many people, so many coaches, and yeah, really gave me the grounding. You know, I look back now and, and uh, a lot of thanks to my parents as well because they were the ones that would be taking me. We didn't live that close to Watford, so it was a good hour journey there and back. And so we were going there three or four times a week, but it was because of that, the coaches that I had at the younger younger years that, that were able to, to help me gain the skills I needed, I guess. And then, and then having a lot of coaches that had belief in me. Um, and of course, then once I got to the first team, some incredible moments, obviously making my debut, uh, to being called up to England with the 21s early on and, and a couple of seasons that I was really proud of. Um, of course, moments, some really tough moments as well, and I'm sure we'll touch on, on them, but some really tough moments in terms of games that didn't go the way I'd hoped and injuries and what have you. But no, if I were to generalise, it was, it was hugely positive and... Yeah, I owe Watford for my football career. Definitely, and you, you kind of summarised what Watford is all about. A local lad who came in, came through the academy, went on to make over a hundred appearances for the club. So, how did you, you, you? How did you first join Watford, and how did that that move all come about? Yeah, so there was an academy of excellence uh, which was in Aylesbury, and I'll always remember because one of the local Watford coaches came to a game that we had, and. We won the game 10-0, so they didn't get to see me, unfortunately, but thankfully my manager at the time, my local Sunday League manager, said to this scout, look, you need to have a look at this lad. Uh, they invited me then in for training, and I'll always remember there were 70 kids. It was actually John McDermott, who's now the Tottenham Academy, head of, head of academy. He was, the, uh, he was at Watford at the time, and I'll always remember him sitting, sitting us down, 70-odd boys, about six or seven goalkeepers, and saying, like, if we get one of you to come through and become a, pro- like a professional, we've done our job. I remember thinking at the time, God, is it that hard? You know, because as like a ten-year-old, eleven-year-old kid, especially when you're the best player in your team, you just think, "I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm going to make it as a pro footballer." You don't really understand exactly what goes into actually getting to the level that you need to get to. Um, but thankfully, they did sign me. I went through the different age groups. Some fantastic managers, uh, some fantastic goalkeeper coaches uh, from Stuart Murdoch, who some will remember, went on to manage a couple of teams, uh, MK Dons in particular, if I remember rightly. Chris Cummins, who was also a big part of Watford, and he went on to manage Toronto. Uh, and then when I went into the youth team, it was the likes of David Hockaday, uh, who was with the club for odds. Gary Johnson, who of course his son Lee was also, who's, who's now at Bristol City. His son Lee was uh, in our youth team as well. And yeah, some fantastic characters. And do you know what the great thing about it is? Even now, I look back at that youth team that we had, and players that, that some might not have heard of, but players like Will Deemer, Steve Sinclair, Neil Saunders, uh, Sam Swinnell, like. Uh, lads like that, I still keep in touch with even today, and we still, you know, not, not loads, but we still are in touch. And of course, Lloyd, you know, Lloyd Doyley, who we were together from the age of 11 and came through year on year on year, and we were never the outstanding players in our team. But I just think that, and certainly in Lloyd's case, and, and I guess mine to an extent too, we just wanted it so badly, and we just kept improving year on year. And, and obviously, thankfully, you know, I had a reasonable career, and Lloyd, yeah, had an exceptional career. And obviously, Watford have a great track record in terms of their academy and bringing through young players. 
it's produced some talent over the years, you know, the likes of Ashley Young, etc. So what was it like during your time at the, the academy and what sort of impact did it have on, on your career? Oh, it was, it was huge. And I think, yeah, I don't know, obviously I keep an eye on it now and I, I don't think they've produced enough since. I would say that, yeah. you know, there's the likes of myself or since me, I know Jonathan Bond and Jack Bonham technically came through, but probably not enough goalkeepers um, but no certainly at the time they had a great setup the likes of Jimmy Gilligan was was one of the managers that I had and I think it was it was a mixture of all sorts they, they it, you know I was taught to grow up quite quickly I think it was certainly probably a very different environment to what youth teams are today where it was then uh, certainly the two years I did as a youth player you were doing it was nine till six you know Monday to Friday then you play your game on a Saturday and you get to go home and see your family on a Sunday but Whereas I think it has changed quite a lot now, but I think it was just more the grounding. I went from being, uh, and it was a very, it was a big change. I went from a school in Aylesbury, an all-boys school, a grammar school, to then suddenly being thrust into this this football environment and just having to stand on my own two feet. And so I think it was more as a human being. You have to grow up, and and, and it was needed because look, if you're going to be able to play in front of twenty thousand people and hold your own and be uh, and, and be counted and have that kind of mentality. There's certain a certain strength, a certain mental strength you need, and I think that those two years as a youth team player certainly helped me gain that. And then when I finally did make my debut, I felt so much more ready than than perhaps I would have had I not have had some of those characters around me in those younger years. And who were your coaches in the the academy, and, and what were they like, and what sort of impact did they have on you? Yeah, so I guess ones that I mean, there's so many to mention, but I guess ones like Colin Barnes was a, one of our goalkeeper coaches who was very good. When I then, of course, Alec Chamberlain, in fact, it goes without saying, in fact, Alec Chamberlain was a huge, huge part of, of my development. And I always remember going in when I was 14 years old, 15 years old, the school actually used to give me one day a week off so I could go and train with Watford. And, you know, thankfully Watford, I think they, they obviously rated me at the time and they would let me come in and, and work with them. Peter Benetti, for those that remember Peter Benetti, a bit of a Chelsea legend, he used to be our coach. So Peter Benetti early on, then it was Colin Barnes, then it was Kevin Hitchcock. Kevin Hitchcock was quite key, actually, because although I know Watford fans don't remember the Viali era with particularly positive thoughts, for me, he was hugely positive because Kevin Hitchcock came in and within weeks, he had made a decision, I think, that, that he obviously rated me and it was very much, you are going to be the next Watford goalkeeper. Uh, and obviously, ultimately, he ended up taking me to Blackburn with him when he went up there with Mark Hughes. Uh, and again, someone else that I keep in touch with even now. But... I think it was having someone like that by your side that you know has got that belief in you and is adamant that you are going to make it to the very top. It, it does something. You start to believe in yourself a little bit more. And I think having him around, certainly for the, the two or three years that he was there, uh, the work he would do with me, not just on the training pitch, but away from it. A lot of the lessons I learned from him, he'd be with me in the gym, some of the things that we'd, we'd do in the evening. I actually, you know, yeah, I suppose he became a good friend as well. So he's someone that, that I'm hugely thankful to and for. And obviously, when you were coming through the academy, you would have been there at the same time as, as Graham Taylor, who was in his, his second spell at Watford. No, no doubt in saying that he's Watford's greatest ever manager, and, and the legacy he will have at, at Watford will, will never, ever be forgotten. So do you have any stories about working with him, and, yeah. and what, what sort of traits did he instill in you, I suppose? Yeah, I, I mean, my first experience of him, and I, I'll go and train with the first team quite often, so... That, that was nice, and there was him and Tom Wally, for people that remember Tom Wally, crazy, crazy Welshman, um, but great guy. Um, and then Kenny Jacket, of course, as well. So you know, it was a really interesting group they had. 
uh, at the time, and Peter Benetti would then come in and do the goalkeepers. But Graham Taylor, when I signed my first contract, although I didn't have loads to do with Graham Taylor, he was the one that was making the final decision. And, and I actually I only found this out afterwards that I knew it was... Uh, although I was doing very well in the youth team, there were a few question marks about me because I wasn't six foot four. I wasn't maybe a stereotypical goalkeeper, but I was playing well enough that I, I was in like the England squads, but that didn't really mean a lot back then. It was The question was, was I going to be physically big enough and good enough to play in the first team? And I found out afterwards that it was a split decision. Um, I actually don't know which way Graham Taylor voted, but I know that there were some key people that stuck their neck out and said, yes, you need to give this, this lad a contract. Um, so then when it actually did come to the negotiation, uh, Graham Taylor didn't like agents coming in on a first deal. So I'll always remember my dad put on his pinstripe suit and he played the role of my agent. And my dad, he's quite a successful businessman. So he, he, he was very confident that he could go in there and he had had all these figures written down and all these points and he was going to go and negotiate me a great deal. And I'll always remember it. We sat there. It must have been two hours we sat there. And Graham Taylor told story after story after story. Uh, me and my dad were both just captivated. My dad didn't say a single word for two hours. And then at the very end of the meeting, Graham Taylor looked up the contract that was in front of us both, scribbled out the figures, put some new ones, and basically said, take it or leave it. And that was that. Was that. that was a negotiation. And yeah, I, I signed the contract, the three-and-a-half-year contract. And that was when it really started getting going. And then, of course, uh, Graham then, uh, he, uh, he left the club. And then it was Ray Lewington, who was obviously then a huge personally um, for me. Uh, in fact, sorry, it wasn't even Ray Lewington. It was obviously Viali. I wiped that year out. But it was obviously Viali. And then it was Ray Lewington, which is where I really was able to break in and, and, and move on from there. Mm. And during your time at the club, was, was Graham very involved in the academy side of things? Would he put on sessions or would he come over to look at what was going on? Yeah, it was very, very personable. I think, you know, I always felt... You were in awe of him, of course. Like it's Graham Taylor, of course you're in awe of him. But I always felt like I could approach him and speak to him. And there were several, uh, several times that I spoke to him over the years. And even after he left, he'd obviously come back to games from time to time, and and I'd see him from time to time. Um, and obviously Elton John as well would fly in as well on his, his helicopter from from time to time as well. But yeah, no, he was. I mean, look, you think of the amount of players that came through under Graham Taylor's um, guidance, and it's not the same now. And I know. You could say that it's not the same because Watford now are a top-end established Premier League team, so it is going to be harder. But I think there was something about the way that Graham Taylor managed, probably, probably similarities to Sir Alex Ferguson, where it was very much focusing on the youth and Watford was built around the youth and players coming through. And obviously the likes of myself, Lloyd Doyley, we've touched on, uh, Tommy Smith and you know Gifton Noel Williams, some of these lads that came through around my era, you don't see it anywhere near as much now, and that that, that saddens me, uh, saddens me a bit because I think there was something special about that, the connection that we had as players to the fans. But of course, football has moved on, and, and I appreciate that. But no, that was all very much born out of Graham Taylor's philosophy. And you mentioned there about being handed your debut by, by Ray Lewington. Uh, that came during the, the 2002-3 season. That must have been a, a proud moment for you in your career. So what do you remember about it and how sort of far advanced did you know that you were, you were going to play and make your debut? Uh, two hours. <laughs> two hours I was given. Yeah, no, it was... The, the interesting thing was, and this is a true story, was um, the goalkeeper coach knew straight away... We had a game on a Saturday and it was a Tuesday night game against Preston. And we then had an FA Cup game that weekend we'd made the quarterfinals I think it was so the manager Ray Lewin had decided that he was going to rest a lot of players for the game on Tuesday in preparation for the quarterfinals so anyway we, the game on the Saturday we lost it was a really bad game I didn't, I didn't play but we lost 
And I remember afterwards, Neil Ardley, who was one of the senior pros, of course, manager of, of Notts County now, he's one of the senior pros, and I got on really well with him. And he said, Rich, I'm, I'm taking you out. And he never, ever did this. But I was like, okay, great. So we ended up having a night out, and it turned into quite a big night out. Now, back then, that wasn't a big deal. Like, I would come in on a Sunday, and I'd tell Kevin Hitchcock about a night out that I'd have. And he used to be like, he used to get excited by it. And he'd kind of join in and be asking questions. But this time, it was strange. We had a big night out on the Saturday. I came in on the Sunday. I was a little bit worse for wear. And I told Kevin Hitchcock, and he, was, he, he looked really annoyed at me. And I couldn't, it only clicked afterwards, but I couldn't figure out why he was annoyed. It was like, you were never annoyed. You normally like, you love my stories and, and everything else. And then it was on the Tuesday that we had pre-match, uh, we had it at the Hilton in Watford, we had pre-match meal. And then Ray Lewitt pulled me aside and, and said, look, just to let you know, you're playing tonight. And the reason they did it was they didn't want to give me too much time to get nervous. And I'm so glad they didn't, to be honest. And so then straight away I rung my family. They already knew because Kevin Hitchcock had called them on the Saturday night to tell them that Rich is going to make his debut on the Tuesday. So credit to Hitchy, he'd let everybody know, all my friends and family. Um, so they'd then hired out a box for the evening and got like 20, uh, yeah, 20 people to come and come and watch. And, no, so it, was, and it was great. I mean, I, the actual game itself, then obviously the fact that I'd gone out, I, thankfully it was two, three days after, I felt fine. Uh, and the game itself, I remember, I was really nervous first half at Preston. Sean Dyche got sent off after about 15 minutes. So we played the majority of the game with 10 men. It was a second string team. Uh, but we battled well, and they, they scored a penalty uh, early on. I nearly saved it, but, but, you know, scored a penalty. And then second half, there was always there was a key moment, I remember. And I, I do think this was probably a key moment for my career, because it was a shot from the edge of the box, and it slipped through my hands. And thankfully, it just went over the bar. And you always wonder, like, had things have been different, you know, might that have been my one and only game for Watford? There was another lad, Elliot Godfrey, made his debut on the same night and never played again. So... Thankfully for me, it went over the bar. And then actually after that, I went on to make four or five decent saves and caught a couple of good crosses and my distribution was pretty good. And I ended up getting man of the match. Now, I think most debutants get man of the match, so I didn't read too much into it. But it was it was nice. And then we made it through the quarterfinals of the Cup, which meant that I got another game because we then had a semi-final. They gave me the game before again, which I think was away at Crystal Palace. I think we won 1-0. And then the last two games of the season, I remember we beat Derby 2-0, made a couple of saves from Ravanelli that day, which was good. And then Sheffield United, I think we beat 1-0 maybe on the last day of the season. So ended up playing four games that season, only conceded the one goal, which was the penalty. And then I got a call up to the England under-21s in the summer. Obviously, you've got quite a habit of saving penalties, which we'll come back to later. But um, <clears throat> that sort of time frame around that club where you made your debut, it's quite a difficult time off the pitch. They were, they were close to going to the administration due to the collapse of ITV Digital wouldn't have been the first time you experienced that as well because towards the end of your career what were very close to, to going under in, in the 2009-10 campaign as well so on both occasions what, what was it like behind the scenes did it have an adverse effect on you and, and the players or was it a tough time for you to deal with as, as a young player as well yeah it, it was I mean in some ways I look back now and it was probably the reason that I got my chance because it wouldn't happen now you know you actually think about it, a goalkeeper to come through I never went on loan anywhere so just to then come through and play for the first team, I couldn't imagine a player doing that now at Watford. You'd expect them to go out and get experience somewhere. So I think in some ways it worked in my favour that they couldn't afford a more, a more established number two. And in fact, they had Espen Bardson. Uh, he was one of the players that technically wasn't a Viali player, but he was kind of seen as a Viali player. And he was one of the many that got moved on and paid up, if I remember rightly, which then obviously gave me the opportunity to be an outright number two. So in some ways it worked quite positively for me. But yeah, it was a horrible place to be for a period of time. Uh, 
the player taking a 12% pay cut, I remember, although I actually wasn't earning enough money, it was players over a certain amount, so I never actually took that cut because I was still on, on uh, very small wages. But yeah, it was just, it was tough. But that being said, I think it did bring us together and it was a case of like grinding out and making sure we could stay in the division, which thankfully we did. Mm. And, and after Ray Lewington, you obviously worked with, with AD Bufroyd, but you, you went from being first choice in the 2004-05 campaign, and then you, were, you went loaned straight out to Blackburn the following season and, and missed out on, on the whole promotion year. So, and then you came back and, and featured in the Premier League and, and went on to, to feature again when we came so close to, to getting into the, the playoff final the, the following year after. So what was your ra- relationship like with him? Uh, it was... Uh, it, w- it was all right. No, do you know what? It was a bit of, I said it was love-hate because it was, look, where I give AD credit was initially he's come in and he's been quite honest to, with me, which was that I wasn't his type of goalkeeper. You know, he wanted someone that was six foot four and could boom it 70 yards. You know, I'm 5'11 and I chipped it to the halfway line. So we weren't exactly a match made in heaven. Uh, and I knew that Ben Foster was coming in. And so because I'd had such a good season in the, you know, I say such a good season, it was my breakthrough season, played 38 games, I think it was. I knew that my stock was quite high and I thought, do I then just sit around and then become a number two behind Ben or do I then look for, for a move? And I knew at the time that Kevin Hitchcock wanted to take me to Blackburn, who were a, a top Premier League team at the time. And it, it, I mean, in hindsight, I don't regret going, but it was always going to be tough because they had Brad Friedel, who never got injured, and then they had Peter Enkelman as well. So really, I've gone from, you know, you look at it now, to go from starting in the Championship to be a number three in the Premier League doesn't really happen and but my thinking was a longer term where I thought actually if I go there at some point they'll probably move Peter Enkelman on I could then be back up to Brad and as long as Hitchy's there I knew how much he liked me I'd get my chance but it just never really happened I went there and I did fine I did okay in the reserves and I think I trained reasonably well but it was weird going from playing in front of 30,000 people every week to suddenly playing at Morecambe which is where we played our reserve games you know in front of a man and his dog so it was it was tough and actually I didn't really like living up there if I'm honest I think I was up in an apartment on my own in Chorley and I found it quite a tough year it was just a bit I didn't have my friends family anyone around me I was playing reserve team football it rained every single day the weather was horrendous and I just didn't really enjoy that experience but then coming back to Watford and this is why I do give AD credit was uh, he didn't shut the door on me and it didn't work out Blackburn did try and buy the bit I couldn't understand was Blackburn did put in an offer for me Watford refused it and then I ended up coming back and initially I was fourth choice so I didn't really understand that and then Blackburn ended up signing another goalkeeper I forget his name now um, so in the end that then killed that avenue um, and I think the figures if I remember I think it was something to do with that it was meant to be a million pounds Blackburn only offered 250 but they couldn't find they couldn't meet in the middle and that, that was that so came back then AD said uh, no you're fourth choice and then it, I remember that summer I went out and bought 10 footballs 10 Premier League footballs because obviously Watford had got promoted and I worked to my kicking every single day over the summer break. And it was as if the stars aligned a little bit. One of the first days in pre-season, and it was Alec Chamberlain's bad luck, which ended up being my good luck. He gets concussion. I think it was Marlon King, if I remember rightly, knocked him out in, in training. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that was Alec. Then that meant Ben Foster hadn't joined yet because he was doing the pre-season with Man United. So then it was me and Scott Lowe. So I ended up going on a pre-season tour. We had a shooting session. It went really well. Uh, so we then played a, a game, a practice game, and the ball come back to me, I'll never forget, ball come back, I took a touch, and I fired this ball out to the left wing, and it's probably one of the best strikes I've ever done in my life. But the moment it happened, A.D. Boothwood stopped the game there and then, and he was quite inquisitive as to 
how I'd suddenly learned to distribute the ball that much better. And you know, I explained to him obviously the work I'd done over the summer. There was a couple of other things that happened at the same time as well, and it just it just allowed me to edge myself ahead of Scott Loach. Uh, he then gave me a pre-season game. It went well. Another pre-season game. Then we played Inter Milan in pre-season. And before you knew it, I was a number two uh, behind Ben Foster for the first game of the season. And then the third game of the season was Man United, which, of course, he couldn't play. Uh, we lost 2-1 at Vicarage Road. And I think if I remember, Darius had a great chance, which he probably should have done better with. But from a personal point of view, I made plenty of saves. And uh, I think, again, I might have got man of the match in that one. It was just, it was, it was, although we'd been defeated, it just felt good. It was... Yeah, I'd managed to sort of win over AD to an extent. And then, you know, without going into too much detail, I ended up playing more games for AD Boothroyd than any other manager. So, you know, I've got a lot of time for AD. Um, Ray Lewington, of course, I touched on before, but AD put a lot of trust in me. I was captain for, uh, I think, eight games, uh, unbeaten captain as well. So, no, I've got a lot to thank AD for. Mm. I thought it was quite interesting there about the loan spell. I mean, you look at other young players like Marvin Sordell when he left Watford and went to Bolton he spoke about how it's how, how difficult it was for him to to adapt in hindsight would you say that was maybe it taught you how to to grow up the hard way living alone was it also maybe difficult for you to to watch on from as far seeing Watford doing so well and um, winning promotion in the playoff final was it like thinking oh, I wish I could have been a part of that oh, I'd have loved to have been a part of it um, in the end it worked out brilliantly and actually I remember this was a bizarre thing because I'd only just signed a new contract the season before and I'd signed a long-term deal. It was like a four-year deal. So there was part of me that was a bit gutted that I wasn't part of it. But at the same time, I was so proud of what was going on yeah. at Watford. And I remember sat there at Millennium Stadium. You know, I wasn't in the squad and, um, of course, because, you know, a Blackburn season had finished, but I was, I was really... Uh, hoping that Watford obviously yeah. did get promoted. No, I remember I've still got it on one of my phones. I think the when Darius put the penalty in and, and everyone went crazy. Like, and actually from a personal point of view, financially it, it was a big rise in wages getting to the Premier League. And actually it then it created a win-win. So where Blackburn then were trying to sign me, um, and even that it then complicated all that because suddenly I wasn't on the wages that I was on on loan at Blackburn. I was on a, a different wage now with Watford. And there was part of me, in a way, I was I was so glad it fell through at Blackburn because. To be able to move home to a club that were in the Premier League, where I would have still been a number three behind Friedel and Enkelman, I knew that I was so confident in myself that I could I could get a chance, um, and I knew that I could if I, if I just had the right attitude and kept showing him what I was about, that at some point I would get a chance in the Premier League. And, and in the end, Ben, I think I got 11 games, I think, because of Ben's injuries in the Premier League. So, and they're games that even now, like I look back, and at the time you don't know that that's necessarily going to be the highest that you you ever get to, but. You know, the games I talk about now, FA Cup semi-final, playing home and away against Man United, away at St. James's Park, um, you know, Everton, whoever else we play, like, you know, some amazing days. You mentioned the Premier League there, playing in the Premier League after the going out on loan at Blackburn, that must have been a, a complete dream come true for you and like a, a real surreal moment that you're getting to run out of the, these huge stadiums as well. Oh, of course, you know, playing... Uh, the one, uh, you know, I'm still dying off it now, uh, playing away at Man City. Um, I remember made three or four saves, drawing nil-nil away at the Etihad, or it was the City of Manchester Stadium then, I think it was. But, you know, to say that, that I've done that, Ronaldo playing against him, making saves from Rooney, letting uh, in goals to both of them as well. Um, but no, they're, look, they're, they're cool things. It's something that as an 11-year-old kid that I'll be practising uh, in the garden, working on my kicking, working on all the areas in my game, you always dream. And actually, I was a Man United fan as a, as a kid as well, so... Like, and I used to go to the old game at Old Trafford so actually being out there and seeing where you used to sit dreaming of the day that you're going to be on that pitch playing a game mm. yeah it was, it was phenomenal I mean 
I say it was phenomenal. It's phenomenal looking back at the time. It was really nerve-wracking. And I did struggle a bit mentally with, uh, with nerves and with dealing with the occasion. But it, no, I look back now and I'm yeah, so proud of, of what I did while at the same time thinking I could have done more. It's, mm. it's a funny feeling. And, and one of the reasons I'm still involved in football now is that I know I've got something to give. And certain mistakes that I made, certain times I shot myself in the foot, I would have changed. But no, to, to, to have said that I played in the Premier League, it's something I'm very proud of. What, what was the feeling like in the dressing room at the end of that season? Obviously, we, we'd come up, went straight back down again, finished at the bottom of the Premier League, something like 10, 10 points adrift of, of 17. Was there disappointment that there were perhaps weren't as, didn't, weren't as close yeah. to some of the others and the fact that we were well, maybe a drift comes in the season? Do you know what the frustration was, I think, was that we actually started the season OK. And if people remember, we went to Everton, I think it was the first game, and I think we lost, but we deserve more. Um, Man United third game deserved more. There was a game I think it was against Fulham where we might have been maybe three one up and drew three all, and it just felt like there were so many games where we should have picked up more points. Uh, we finally got. In fact, I played in the first win, which was at home to Middlesbrough. We yes. beat them two nil, yes. uh, which was great. But it just felt like there were so many games where we should have picked up points we didn't. And then what happens is suddenly you do see yourself in the relegation zone, and suddenly teams start picking up points around you, and you start to lose that belief that you had at the start of the season. And it was such belief at the start of the season. We were convinced that we were gonna not only stay up but you know challenge uh, uh, challenge for a top half finish you know we genuinely believe that but you know as, as the games went on and then I think people found us out we were obviously very direct at the time uh, and if anything we went even more direct in the Premier League well, under 80 it was it was um, you play against the good teams and they just dealt with it so easily and, and they'd, they'd have 80% possession of the ball and it was just tough to to build attacks and to dictate games and even the games we were ahead in because we never had the ball you always felt they're going to score at some point um, and yeah it just that was all it was and as the season went on the belief just began to drain and unfortunately the gap did become too big and I always remember it was probably February March time where there was that realization that it's not going to happen and uh, and then it, it, it changes again because you go through some horrible days and some games where you're in the changing room for an hour after the game having a bit of an inquest as to what's happened to then get into sort of March where the pressure's off again because it's like, you know, we've given it our absolute best. It's not going to happen. And if I remember, we had a bit of an upturn then towards the end of the season just yes. because I think then the pressure was off and you see it so often. And again, lessons learned. Had we had our time again, maybe a little bit more luck, maybe a slight change in, in, in tactics, maybe a slight change in mentality and, and maybe we could have done something. But it was always going to be tough given the fact that we, we didn't spend loads and loads that summer. We were trying to do it with a lot of the lads that we had from the season before, um, but we were, we were always just a little bit short. Mm, and you, you played in that, that semi-final against Manchester United then that season as well. What was it like for you? And, and you look at that competition, that's a competition there in that season, Watford had a great amount of success in. And this season as well, when you look at the, the competition as it is now, one of the big teams is going to go out again. It's a competition they could do well again this year as well. Yeah, look. I've got them this season, providing on, on uh, the draw being kind to them. Uh, and obviously, as of, as of this recording, we're still waiting on the, the quarterfinal draw, of course. But providing the draw's kind to them, then we saw it with England in the World Cup. Things can open up, and before you know it, you could they could find themselves in a final without having to play any of the top six teams, you know, which is... Um, and if that's the case, then it becomes a one-off and you never know. Similar to what when we had that semi-final. We, obviously, we, we ended up losing the game, but it was a one-off. You, you never know if the stars align if things work out on the day we might have won and on that game itself I, I remember we obviously Rooney scored early on and then it was Hamaboatso wasn't it who got a, yes. a great equaliser 
Uh, and you felt we were in the game. And if I remember, I think it might have been Ronaldo then, then scored. And then once they went 3-1 up, that was that was pretty much that. But, you know, those kind of games, you, you never know. We played Man United at home that season. And we, for large parts, you thought we're going to get a win here. We're going to get a win. And had Darius put that chance away, maybe we would have. Um, so, no, I do hope this season that, and I know he's starting to put more and more of a first team out. I hope in the quarterfinals he goes full strength because, you know, I had this conversation recently. And I know, speaking as a Watford fan, if you've got a choice of finishing seventh but going out in the quarterfinal of the cup or finishing 12th but winning the cup, I know what I'd rather have. Yeah. They're safe now. No one, yeah, of course you want them to do as well as you can in the league, but let's go for the cup. Why not? And obviously, during your, your time with Watford during that season in the Premier League and, and the promotion season, you would have worked very closely with Ben Foster, a man who, who made a, a welcome return to Watford uh, last summer and it's been superb for, for, for the club this season. He's, he's made past sort of the record of making the most saves in the Premier League. I think it's over a thousand now. So, what was he like with to, to work behind the scenes? And did you realise at the time that you were working with a, a special talent? Yeah, 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 maybe. Do you know what, Ben? I love Ben to bits. And when he came, he was so raw. He was. There was an interesting quote I saw from Troy Deeney recently, where he's like, <laughs> you know, essentially eats rubbish, trains a couple of times a week, yet he's man of the match on Saturday, which was him. It was bizarre. Like there was me. Me and Chamber had quite a similar mentality, where it was almost a, an avoidance of pain. Like we would, if we came out of a game without making a mistake, we were often quite happy. Whereas Ben, he just didn't care, but in a good way. Like even when Paul Robinson scored that goal past him, I'll always remember him coming into the change room and just laughing about it instantly. It didn't bother him, which is what made him special because he knew he was talented. He obviously wants to win. He is a winner, he, he, and he does train hard. It, certainly now, if you see his Instagram, he's on his bike every other day, and he keeps himself fit. He's had three cre- cruciate knee injuries and still keeps going. Like, just a phenomenal character, and, and an, yeah, excellent goalkeeper. If you were to create a goalkeeper with certain astri- attributes you'd want, physical attributes, and he's got them. He's you know six foot four, six foot five, dynamic, powerful, agile. Like, he's just the perfect human being. For, for, to, to make a goalkeeper and, and as a character I learned so much from him uh, and a lot of my ways that I believed to be true that you had to be in order to be successful he shattered a lot of my illusions which then helped me improve as well um, I always remember once in fact the game the game at Man City where I ended up uh, I think Danny Schutte might have got man of the match but I certainly ran him close that day and made a few saves the 0-0 the draw but I always remember before and I was really nervous and I remember him coming into my hotel room and he was injured so he wasn't involved and coming into my hotel room and having a bit of a chat with me and it, I remember almost instantly changing my mind about the game and change, change how I felt. Um, and it was just the fact that he was a bit happy-go-lucky in his ways. And, and it worked for him. And actually, a lot of his traits, he did pass on to me. And, and I'm really thankful for that. But I still, and I'll say I'm still, you know, still in touch with him now. And, and yeah, no, he's... he's uh, I just love how he plays the game. And I, I, I wish I could have played the game with his mentality more. That would have been one of my... Not that I have regrets, but that would have been one if I had one. When you look at him now, do you see anything different to when, when you worked with him? Yeah, he's a lot tidier now. Uh, he certainly he was very raw back then and made fantastic saves, um, but he everything was booming at 80 yards, whereas now he's a lot more cultured with his distribution. Distribution is fantastic now. Very, very good. A lot more cultured with that. Still makes incredible saves. Still as sharp as ever, which does make me think that you know he's, what, 35, 36 now. I think he might have just turned 36. Uh, or he will do soon but I, I don't see any let up I don't look at him and think oh you're, you're coming towards the end uh, if anything he could certainly keep up this for another couple of years if he's got the enthusiasm and the motivation 
I think it's quite exciting for Watford that where they might have thought of it as a real short-term uh, plug a hole, mm. I think it could be more of a uh, three, four years you get out of him. And a couple of people have asked him, would you go back into that England setup? And I think he's sort of brushed it up, brushed it off. But it's a it's a sign of how well he's been playing this season as well. And you must yeah. must be impressed of how he's been doing as well. Yeah, no, I've, I've been quite open with that. That he's he'd be my number one at the moment. Um, the issue that Gareth Southgate would have is if he's going to do that, you know, he's he's making plans for the Euros, so he'd need to decide whether he thought Ben was going to be the number one for the next eighteen months. I think he should be, personally. And this is nothing against Jordan Pickford. He's done okay this season, but he certainly hasn't done as well as Ben. I think Tom Heaton's done very well as well. For me at the moment, my one, two, three would be Ben one, Tom Heaton two, Jordan Pickford three, uh, based on current performances and performances this season. Um, whether Gareth Southgate does that or not, whether Ben wants to do that, because he's, you know, he loves, uh, he's obviously, he takes his private life very seriously and he's a family man, whether he'd want to do that. But I'm sure if England came knocking and he knew that he was going to be the number one, and he had a real shot of being involved in the Euros, a competition that I think we could win, by the way, and I think Ben would be best placed to be our goalkeeper for that. Yeah, I'd love to see that happen. Whether it does or not, I'm not sure. Another person who worked with you in time at Watford, who, who worked there for over 20 years, is Alec Chamberlain. Um, served both so well as, as, a, as a player and a goalkeeping coach as well. Spent a lot of time in the likes of Scott Loach and, and, and so on when he was there as well. So what sort of impact did he have on you, your career and what was he like to work with? Yeah, huge. Again, just a, a great character. Someone that I learned a lot from. You know, he, he, the amount of games that he racked up is just extraordinary. And you don't see that really these days. And he just, yeah, just as a, in terms of his calmness, um, playing under pressure, uh, and he just he knew his game he was so comfortable with his game just solid in all areas lovely half volley that he had on him uh, moved well good shot stopper no I had so much time for Chamber and I learned so much and as a coach as well the fact that he was just so understanding you always knew and it's quite important for and any goalkeeper coaches listen to this that you've got the back of your goalkeeper and you knew that even when you had a nightmare and I had, had a few bad games of course and, and when I had those bad games I knew he was one that I could talk to because um, there's nothing worse for a goalkeeper than when you have a bad game you come into the changing room and you feel like no one's talking to you and you feel like the manager you know, it's almost like a personal thing the manager's annoyed with you the goalie coach's annoyed with you your teammates are annoyed with you and it's a horrible horrible feeling but Chamber was always very level headed so whether you had a fantastic game or a bad game he would be able to talk to you on a level and you felt so much better for doing that and again it's someone that even to this day you know, I've seen him a couple of times uh, this calendar year and I still speak to him very regularly uh, and someone that I'm so close I was able to grow close with and, and call a good friend and mentally, was it was it difficult for you that you never really established yourself as the, a first choice goalkeeper in, in the long run at Watford? You, you had sort of a first choice for a season, and back to second, then out on loan, and back to yeah. first choice. Was that difficult for you to, to deal with? Yeah, and a lot of it I blame myself for because I think that I had certain opportunities. Obviously, my breakthrough season, the first thirty odd games went so well until I broke my cheek. And that was probably, and it's, it's a bit sad to say it now, but that was probably my best run of form that I ever had. And it was my first, my first real shot at it. Um, there were a few things that happened. I look back now, the injuries obviously didn't help. And I don't like to make excuses, but, you know, sat here with a ruptured bicep, dislocated shoulder, reconstructed the other shoulder, four screws in my elbow, reconstructed knee, broken cheek, broken eye. And actually the concussion, for those that were at the QPR game in pre-season, when I got concussed at Paul Furlong, that really shook me. And I remember something changed then. Like I, the certain confidence I had when I was a kid 
and, I, and actually the more that I'm learning about concussion recently it does make me look back and wonder whether that played a bit of a part now like I said I don't like to make excuses because then I actually did have chances and that these were all a lot of the, the chances I had were post-injury where I did have a chance I was first choice broke my cheek and okay I lost my place then but then when I did then have the chance we got relegated from the Premier League in the Championship it, you know I look back and it was a, it was a really solid season I think I played 40 odd games and it was such a shame that it ended in such a negative fashion that the last game of the season was against Hull, uh, losing in the playoffs and being at fault for, for what was a crucial goal. And I didn't forgive myself for that for a long time. And it ended up being that I then lost my place after that. It took me a long time to come back, struggled with injury and actually lost the love of football for a long, long time. And eventually that led to me leaving for Brentford. So, And that's where like, I'm still involved in football now, where I think that having been through that in particular, if I could have mentored myself then, it would have been effectively just to get back on the horse. Like, look, stuff like that happens, not just in football, but in life. Have you got the attitude and the, the resilience just to show up again and again and again and keep going? But I think that really shook me, that, that mm. result against Hull, that mistake against Hull. And I never really, truly got over it until I got to... And even at Brentford, there was a hangover at Brentford and eventually it came good at Brentford and I was able to establish myself there and, and get player of the season and, and what have you. But it took me a long, long time to get over that um, which was which was tough and you're right I then had so I had like spells where I was number one but it would have it would have been nice and you do wonder had things have gone differently like I spoke about my debut that had that gone in I might never have played again similarly had I not made that mistake against Hull do we then get promoted to the Premier League do I become number one in the Premier League you just never know but that's where I think it comes down to a psychology and mentality and, and something that I probably wasn't prepared enough for at the time and you obviously played a little bit under Brendan Rodgers as well and I couldn't let you forget about your, your double penalty save against Southampton in that, in that crucial 3-2 win down at the St Mary Stadium. Uh, describe that moment and what, what you remember about that game. Yeah, uh, it was 3-0 by the way, clean sheet. Uh, yeah, no, and I had a good record down at Southampton actually. I played there three times, three clean sheets. Um, but no, that was... Do you know what? Though? It was strange and this was, this was where... So this was after Hull uh, and, and so what ended up happening was I got... Um, lost my place and I was third choice behind Mark Poom and Scott Loach then there was that bizarre week where there was the ghost goal yes. obviously Poomy came off in that game he, he got a really bad injury broke his collarbone I think it was and he was out for a long time so he broke his collarbone there was, uh, Scott Loach came on there was the ghost goal that then meant I was back on the bench the following week against Sheffield United and then Loach came off with an injury so I then I, I came on in that game um but I remember this was still very close. It was soon after. My head was still all over the place from the, the season before, the, the game against Hull. And then I had probably the three best games of my life and then the three worst games of my life. So there was the game against Southampton. We won 3-0. Then there was at home to Cardiff City. Saved yes. another penalty yes. and, and made a couple of great saves. I had another great game, if I remember. But it was like I was on an absolute high. Everything, And it was weird because I just... I didn't feel all there. I, I remember at the time, like I think because I'd, I, I mentioned that I fell out of love with football a little bit, I was just, head was all over the place and I was just, do you know what, let's just see what happens. And it was going brilliantly and I thought maybe this is the way forward. That was then followed by a defeat at home to Wolves and I, was, I know I was blamed for a goal or two at that one. Then there was another poor defeat, I think away at Preston, I was at fault for a goal. And then there was the game at home to Blackpool, which ended up being A.D. Boothroyd's final game, which I was just a shambles, to be honest. And we lost 4-3. 
and it was just it was bizarre I just my head had gone I think the football club at the time Aidy's head had gone you know I remember him coming in after a couple of games I even asked to be dropped a couple of games before that in fact that was another one Swansea we lost I think 3-0 and I was at fault again and for someone who I, you know I was quite proud of the fact that I didn't make many mistakes I wasn't necessarily the biggest or the most powerful or the biggest kicker or anything but I was just always consistent that was probably my biggest strength I was quite an intelligent goalkeeper I read the game well a good communicator I made good saves and you know I kind of did what you'd expect but then all of a sudden I had this run I never had in my career of I think four games in a row that were just so so poor I asked to be dropped he wouldn't drop me um, which you know which was good in a way but at the same time I, I needed to be dropped Malky Mackay then came in and I, in fairness, I finished on a positive note. I think we won in the cup away at Swansea. And then he brought Scott Loach back in because he was fit. And that, well, in fact, that did spell the end of my, my Watford career pretty much after that. Um, but yeah, but no, then totally touched on the positive. Penalties, I, I always love, I love penalties. It's, and even now, goalkeepers do. It's a, it's a no-lose situation. And I, always, I think that came back to the intelligence where I think I was quite an intelligent goalkeeper. I felt like I could read what they were going to do a lot of the time. I had certain rules in my head depending on the type of player they were. If they were a bit of a bit of a fancy Dan, then they might try and do a little chip or go back across themselves. If they're a six foot four centre half, they were going to blast it. If they were um, a bit more cultured, they might, you know. So I just had these rules, and also I'd look at little cues. How do they place the ball? What angle is their run up? Is there something I can do before the kick to maybe plant something in their mind? And whether it was true or not, I felt so confident when I stood in goal when it came to penalties and. Uh, and yeah, obviously I had the penalty shootout I think against Accrington Stanley. Uh, I remember we lost one against Newcastle, but I made some saves. Sheffield United up at Sheffield again saved a couple in that one, and we won that when we made the semi-final of the League Cup in my first season. Uh, got injured before that, unfortunately, against Liverpool. But but no, like you know, I look back. I think I won certainly four or five at Watford, and then I won another four or five at Brentford, and I think I saved about twenty penalties in my career. Which, bearing in mind, you know, I only ended up playing a couple of hundred games. It was uh, it was quite a good record. And just three quick-fire questions to round yeah, yeah. things off. So, during your time at Watford, you played with some brilliant players. Is there one that in particular stands out to you and is like, you think, wow, he was special? Uh, tough. The th- in fact, I'm going to give you three. One is Ben Foster, obvious yeah. reasons, and I've, I've already gone into that. Eddie Mariapa. In fact, Eddie Mariapa and Ashley Young, um, for the fact that both were effectively released at the age of 16... <laughs> and to show the attitude that they showed. And, and AD, I still go for lunch with him once every two months, normally with Lloyd Doyley as well. And he's just, I just cannot give enough good words to describe Eddie Mariapa. Like, for me, an absolute inspiration. The fact that he's still sticking in there. And again, he's not someone that's blessed physically with what you would expect a centre-half to be. But incredible spring, works so hard, just a really good character, really good human being, and I'm just so happy for what he's been able to achieve, and he keeps on going, which is great. And Ashley Young, you know, and again, another one released, uh, and then decided to stick around on a non-contract, and I've just, I can still picture it now, after training every day, whipping in free kick after free kick after free kick, honing that skill that we still see him do so often, even today. If someone had said to me then that Ashley Young's going to go on and play as many games for Man United and be captain and do whatever he's done, I would never have believed you. But again, it just shows you what can happen if you have the right mentality, the right work ethic, and that resilience. Um, so those three players for those those reasons. Funniest in the dressing room? Was there anyone in particular that always used to yeah. to get get the room get the dressing room going? Those characters over the years. I, I'd have to say Sean Dyche, and I hate saying this because it was a real love-hate relationship that we had, but he was, and I can't really say some of the stories on, on a podcast, unfortunately, but 
I mean, he was a vile human being at times, a really vile human being, but just so loud. And uh, I mean, for those that came to Alec Ch uh, Chambers' tribute night, um, which was at the Palace Theatre not so long ago, like Sean Dyche had the room in tears, just nonstop for an hour. Just such a big, big character and so confident, you know. And, and my memory of him, would he'd, he'd turn up every day in the same trainers, the same T-shirt, the same jeans, and he would come in and hammer everyone for what they were wearing, you know, just to he just didn't care and, and massive character and credit to him like he's gone on to do some amazing things and finally best manager you worked with during your time at Vicarage Road that's a tough one obviously I had some, some amazing managers you know from uh, Graham Taylor of course just what he did for the football club and even my time there uh, some amazing things you know I still remember sitting in the crowd just about to join as a youth team player the 99 FA uh, sorry playoff final uh, obviously Alan Smart and uh, Nicky Wright, Alec Chamberlain making the saves from a free kick and you know another just incredible moment for Graham Taylor and, and yeah learnt so much under his his uh, his guidance so he would he would certainly be there um, yeah I, I, during the time it's it, I've got so much time for Ray Lewington he did brilliant things with no budget you know and I think I felt a bit sorry for him because obviously he left AD came in what AD did the following season was extraordinary but like Ray Lunen did it on an absolute shoestring and managed to keep us in that division that people forget now. But you know we might not have had the big investment from the Pozzos and whatever else if we were a League One club. So massive amount of credit to him. Look, AD, he gave me more games than anyone else. I've got so much time for AD, and, and I'm pleased that he's back involved. And obviously England 21s, even Brendan. I know people aren't huge fans of Brendan from a personal perspective. He was great with me. Came in and uh, he was a great man manager. I think all the players really took to him. Uh, Malky briefly I still speak to Malky now and had some horrible times and uh, thankfully for him he's getting through them and I'm sure he's learnt a hell of a lot it's been a, it's been a tough time for him but he did some, some very good things at the club to pick one I, I think I'd struggle to be honest um, yeah I'd, think I'd have to go Graham Taylor I guess Brilliant. Thank you for so much for your time, Richard. I really appreciate it. And you can go and give Rich a follow on Twitter. He's at, his handle is at Dickie Lee. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You please, please feel free to, to like, share and subscribe. And if you've got any more questions that you want asked or you, you've got any suggestions for any people that you'd like to hear from in the future, please feel free to drop me a message. So uh, thanks so much for listening. This has been a trip down Vicarage Road with uh, Richard Lee. I've been Bradley Hayden um, and I look forward to speaking to you soon.